This is a CBC Podcast. Electric vehicles will be kings of the road soon enough. But can we charge them all? I'm Anise Hedari, and this is Calgary. Power, electricity, juice. It flows through everything in our lives every day. You aren't even listening to me talk without using something that has electrons flowing through it. And in Alberta, the systems those electrons start in and travel through, they've been stretched. The whole province got that alert on our cell phones not long ago, telling us, hey, try the microwave instead of the big oven to save power. We were on the brink of blackouts. Yeah, and in that alert, charging electric vehicles, do you remember it was specifically mentioned as in, hey, you've got that nice Tesla in the driveway? You just got to let it die. That takes us to one of your favorite questions, Josh. Mm -hmm. What if each and every one of the million vehicles registered in Calgary were electric? And it feels like the answer should be so very obvious that, well, clearly, there's just not enough power. Obviously. Like, clearly, that's just the way it is. We know. We got the alert. There's just over 9,000 EVs registered across the entire province as of last year. So, like, how can you add a million or millions more and it's all just fine. But when you actually start going through the numbers and the calculator's full, which my calculator was very full, it's just not as clear as you think it should be. Okay, let's reboot your calculator. <laughs> let's get those windshield wipers going. Let's clear it up then, Josh. I, uh, I didn't know you could fill a calculator, actually. But now I want to know, like, how does all of this work right now? Let's, let's start with that. Let's start with what happens when you are charging an electric vehicle right now. So I called up someone I met working on a different story months ago. I, I noticed at the time he had an electric truck in his parking spot. Hi, my name is Tyler Pubbin. I live in Calgary. I've got a 2022 F-150 Lightning, a 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E, and I have a Rivian R1T being delivered sometime in late to uh, late February to early March. Tyler runs a kitchen faucet company called Tapmaster, so he's driving around for work a little more than the average person. And when that Mustang and the pickup truck are plugged in, Tyler tracks it all in a spreadsheet. Now, anyone who knows me is already aware I'm a big, big, big fan of vehicle-related spreadsheets. So I was very excited when he took us to Excel Town. You know, I went through the data that you sent, um, and... I noticed that you are pulling solar from your panels. So we were trying to look at days where you didn't pull in a lot of solar energy, just so we could talk about the the cars themselves. Mm -hmm. And it looked like your charging port used about 24 kilowatt hours on January 24th, while the house as a whole was around 55 kilowatt hours. Is that correct? Yeah. Would you call that a normal day? Like, is that normal? Yeah, that would say I'd be the the bog standard normal day. Mm -hmm. So when we look at that number... It's a normal day then where just about half of your consumption comes from charging the car? Yeah. How much does that add to your monthly bill? How much does charging the cars add to your monthly power bill? Uh, Well, we are currently locked on a rate of 7.9 cents per kilowatt hour. And then with all the fees, I think it works out to around, I don't know, 13 cents per kilowatt hour. So you'd have to run the numbers on that. But say we're assuming 13 cents per kilowatt hour times 24. I can hear you tapping on the calculator there. Yeah. $3.1 a day. Uh, That, forgive my colloquialism here, that sounds pretty cheap. Would you consider that cheap? 
Oh, absolutely. So if you just have the one electric vehicle in theory, let's say, um, would you say it's fair to say it's like a little bit half of that? If we were going to say like us, uh, like $1.75 for one car? Yeah, probably even less, to be honest with you, because the F-150 is not a particularly efficient electric vehicle. I mean, it's an efficient vehicle, but as far as electric vehicles go, it's really inefficient. So the average car, like a Model Y or a, a Mach-E, is going to be cheaper than that, like maybe a dollar twenty a day. Ah, fair. That's 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 a good point. Although I enjoy that the tradition of inefficient pickup trucks continues <laughs> into the electric sphere. Yeah. A recap. For those two vehicles, including the somewhat inefficient pickup truck, it costs Tyler about $90 a month. And charging those two vehicles often makes up just under half of his household's total use. So it's not like it's minimal drain here. We're talking about some real added usage to the bill. Yeah, this isn't free. It's not nothing. And if you're listening and saying, well, clearly it's not for free, whatever, I'll just stick to gasoline. Good luck. Eventually, unless hydrogen cars become a bigger thing, you're going to be plugging in. The federal government says by 2035, automakers can only make zero-emission vehicles. So if everyone ends up like Tyler Pubbin with an electric vehicle or two, can the system handle it? We called up 1-800-ELECTRIC-CAR expert to find out. Okay, no we didn't. Bad joke. But there is one very specific Calgarian who is the guy to ask, and we also had his phone number. Hi, I'm Blake Schaefer. I'm an associate professor at the University of Calgary, where I'm in the Department of Economics and the School of Public Policy, and do most of my research on electricity markets. So the premise of this episode is, if everyone in Calgary drove and charged an electric vehicle as of tomorrow, as a million cars, would our current power grid be able to handle charging them all? The short answer is yes, we could. There, there's more of a nuanced answer. It t- depends when they want to and some other factors. But the short answer is I think this is less of a problem than many people think it is. Would you, if we were going to use tones of voice here, would you say like, <laughs> yes, or is it like, yeah, but? <laughs> I like the second one. I think, yeah, but. I mean, yeah, but's a great answer to many questions. But I think the perspective, we just went through a near blackout, right? And so this is on top of mind. We just went through a near blackout and, and now uh, Justin Trudeau wants us all to be driving an electric car. Isn't that going to make problems worse? Uh, obviously, we changed nothing. Sure, that's adding load. Uh, but that's not a fair comparison. But a typical car might drive around 15,000 kilometers a year. Uh, some people drive a lot more, some less. But that's, that's a decent average number. The fuel economy on an EV, so how many, the, the equivalent of a miles per gallon, you need about 20 kilowatt hours to go 100 kilometers. So that means we're talking about 3,000 kilowatt hours a year of consumption. That, that's, that's how much an EV needs. For perspective, uh, a, a house would use around eight to 10,000 in a year. So it's really big in comparison to a house. But if you take those 3,000 kilowatt hours and you multiply it by, say, a million EVs, because I, I got asked this question a lot, what if we had a million EVs on our road, uh, roads, which is about a third of the total fleet, but it's going to take a while to turn over the fleet. So take that 3,000 kilowatt hours, multiply it by a million. And if I step through my kilowatts, megawatts, gigawatts, I get to terawatt hours. So I get three terawatt hours of total demand for 1 million EVs. All of Alberta uses about 85 terawatt hours in a year. So we're talking about three, three and a half percent increase in total energy demand. And we're not getting to a million EVs till 
at least 2035, you know? If that, if, if that. If that, we'll see where we go. But over 10 years, can we increase our total energy by 3%, like 0.3 a year, less so when we're compounding? Absolutely. Yeah. A part of what I wanted to ask was like, how much power does that leave for everything else? It sounds like the answer is lots. Lots. And, and another way to contextualize it, like what would you need to build to supply three terawatt hours? So if you ran a gas plant and ran it 85% of the time, which is about what they run at, you'd need about a 450 megawatt gas plant. We just built a 900 megawatt plant in this province. It's being commissioned right now. So half of this plant that just got built. Uh, if we're talking wind, which you run a lot less because it's not windy all the time, uh, you need about 1,000 megawatts of wind. Again, we built a lot more than that last year. So from an energy perspective, this is very easy to meet. So, you know, you've mentioned some of what we're doing in this province already. Um, is it fair to say that, like, handling more electric vehicles is not just within our power, but we're kind of doing things that would take care of that for us anyway? Yeah, I think it's a good segue because it's showing – the real challenge isn't so much the quantum of energy, the total amount, it's the timing of it. Do we have that energy in our system when we want it? In terms of logistics, would that rely just on people choosing to charge their cars at different times? I love that question. So this is where I'm running field experiments with um, NMAX here in Calgary and, and Fortis, Alberta, sort of in the surrounding areas, uh, and some other Canadian utilities that prefer to remain anonymous, but... Uh, we're testing that out. We're testing giving people signals and getting them to shift, seeing what, what they'll do. We're also testing this idea of what we call managed charging, uh, which I'm going to say this and you're going to get a lot, a lot of irate viewers, but this is the idea where you just simply, you, your car is connected to an app. You tell them, I want to leave by 6 a.m. and I want to be 90% charged or whatever you, your desired level is, and we figure out when to charge you. And so the idea there is we're slotting you in so that, say, you and your neighbor and your other neighbor are all trying to charge their vehicles. We're going to make sure you're not all charging at the same time. Again, there's a lot of flexibility to do this. And so this is more of a hands-on approach by the utility versus leaving you in control. And we're trying to see the pros and cons and the acceptability of those two methods. What are some of the problems that could pop up? Because I'm assuming there must be a shoe that's going to drop somewhere. Absolutely. So it really comes down to timing. And that's sort of twofold. One I'm less concerned about. What it, one is like, well, what if everybody wants to charge at peak periods? There we're finding in our, in our experiments, like we did a pilot with NMAX where we gave people what we call time of use pricing. So a discount for your power and off peak. It's a pretty small discount, three cents off. Uh, we, had, we found that over 80% of charging shifted to that overnight period. So it does Three cents is three cents. Three cents is three <laughs> cents. I mean, you do that enough, you can buy a coffee. Um, so it, it really shows it doesn't take much. You don't get that type of flexibility with anything else in the home. People are not willing to shift their electric consumption for three cents on much other things. Um, but in an EV, absolutely will. For two reasons. One, you're super flexible because the driving and the charging are... are naturally separated, unless you have a really long extension cord. Um, and it's meaningful. I mean, 70 kilowatt hour tanks, it starts to add up. What if everybody does that? Because when everyone lines up for whatever cents off at the gas station, uh, no one's getting gas uh, and you have a problem. Does the same thing happen with electric vehicles? Yeah, great question. And this is actually the subject of a recent uh, bit of research where we're hoping to put out in the next couple of months. 
where we do find this, where the, the three cent discount has everyone shifting to the overnight period. And the overnight we defined as 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., uh, which is good for the broader energy system. We've got a lot of surplus then, so great. But what we find is there's a lot of bunching right at 10 p.m. Uh, unsurprisingly, it's the cheaper block. Most EVs have, have scheduling apps. So you set your timer on your charger, 10 I want to get the cheaper rate. I want to go right at the start of it to make sure that I'm charged. And so it creates what we call a, a shadow peak. So that is a problem with time of use pricing where you can get this lumpiness right then. And again, no problem for the broader energy system, but the distribution network doesn't like that either. So the solution there really comes back to this idea of managed charging where we're coordinating it and smoothing you over a time period. Mm -hmm. So instead of having the whole clump of butter at the front of your bread, you've got a butter knife to spread it out. That's a very weird analogy. No, but I, I use that on uh, Jackie Forrest and Peter Trzakian's, uh podcast. I said peanut butter, so that was where mine, mine was at. I was like, imagine a slice of bread and all the peanut butter is at one edge. What we want to do is smear that across. Smooth it out. <laughs> what about condos and apartment buildings? Because like, I can visualize what you're talking about with a house. You know, And everyone has like a doohickey attached to their meter and it can – or, or directly to their charger, and it can handle some of this balancing out and, and change things around for you. But in a condo or an apartment building, I mean, first of all, lots of them don't have power outlets at all. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that do, like some of them separate it out, some of them don't. How do we make that work? You're right. The, the sort of the forefront of EV adoption is kind of the single family home. Um, and as we, as it increases, we need to be thinking more about multi-unit residential buildings. Uh, I am working with the city of Calgary on their multi-unit, MERB is an easier thing to say, multi-unit residential building, MERB, MERB. strategy for EVs. Um, and so there's lots of thoughts there. There's a few things. Uh, one is many of these condos are equipped with, uh, simple 110 volt sockets, not awesome for charging your EV, but not terrible. If you can connect and leave it plugged in quite often, you're probably going to need a top-up every now and then. So one strategy is to have public chargers dotted around the landscape, and they, these would be the level three or superchargers. So most of the time, people are plugging into their little 110s and every now and then topping up, kind of like a gas station model, really. Uh, the other, this is a really interesting area we can use technology to make it better, is you set people up with lots of level two chargers. Those are sort of the, the medium speed, the ones that we have in our, people tend to have in their homes, but you control them. So you might have a hundred level two outlets, but you certainly can't have a hundred <laughs> level twos going at once. So again, there you could sequence it. So that allows people to plug in and not have the hassle of like, you know, oh, you're in the spot now. Why don't you move and I'll get in there later. Clearly that's not possible, but we can do that um, through smart control panels or smart switches, we can control which of these are active. So everybody would get a sort of a, a period of time of it being active. Sounds more complicated than I'm describing I it. I see your, your eyes wincing. But it, the idea is from the consumer's perspective, it would actually be pretty convenient. You would just plug in. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of coordination on making sure we're not charging too many of these vehicles at once but everybody's getting charged by the time 6 a.m. rolls around. Mm -hmm. So you can still park your car. If, if this was a thing, you would park your car like you normally do and just trust that by the morning it would be charged. Absolutely. So I hear stories of people at their workplace where there's maybe two EV chargers 
and there's only maybe five people with EVs right now, so they all know each other, and they're texting each other saying, hey, I'm done, I'll go move it, you can go in now. That's not a sustainable model. I might have some electricians write me over this bad analogy, but it feels like what you're describing is that we have enough supply, but if too many people do this at once, that the breaker might go off for their whole neighborhood. It's like the big breaker. <laughs> it's like the neighborhood breaker, if you want. It's the transformer. And so the transformer, these those little things that look like garbage cans on the top of poles, uh, they'll get stressed and they'll overload. And what you'll see if you're, you're watching the NMAX trucks around Calgary, you'll start to see some of those garbage can-looking things being replaced. And they're increasing the throughput of these. And so there's kind of there's two solutions here. One solution is, yeah, we go and buy a lot of transformers, which are hard to get these days. Not the fun kind that we grew up with. I was going to say, I've got Optimus Prime. Will yeah. you help with my car? No, far less fun than that. Uh, we go and do that, and we build out the throughput capability of our system so that we can accommodate it. That's like... You know, upgrading Crow, uh, Crowchild Bridge there, we just went from four to six lanes, moving to 16 lanes so we can accommodate that rush hour, right? But what a waste of money because most of the time you're not going to need 16 lanes there. Most of the time you're not going to need these really hefty transformers. So I'm concerned that, you know, that's a solution that is plausible. It's a solution that you can see happening. But there's far better solutions which require a lot more just basically coordination and you know, again, the, the call in person getting irate, but this is where cars are effectively talking to one another through third party apps and saying like, okay, I'm going to charge now. And then my neighbor's going to charge and then you're going to charge. And we're sequencing it so that we're not overloading those transformers. And that's stuff that we're testing out right now with, with Fortis. I guess my last question is for all those people who don't have these cars yet, how do, how do they factor into the, this sort of shift? Is it just like, eventually you'll get an electric car and Welcome to the club, or is it like I, you know, Deanna, my very aged Honda Accord is not going anywhere for a little while. <laughs> um, how does that factor in? Is it just that I am not a part of this shift until I choose to get a new car? Um, how does that factor in? Non-EV owners, how do they factor in? Um, if we go down that door number one I talked about where EV owners, EVs are, are taking off and the solution to that problem of too many people charging at once is to build up the grid, that's going to affect you and Diana, your Honda Accord, because you're, you're going to be faced with distribution charges even though you're not an EV owner. And so you shouldn't want us to go down that path. Now, the answer to that isn't that you should go and pick it uh, EV, uh, the Tesla shop over there and say, don't sell EVs. The answer to that is, hey, we need to be, you know, we need to make sure EVs are a lot smarter about when they charge. That, that would apply to any large demand, but EVs are just so much uh, bigger instantaneously than anything we have. So, you know, you should be sort of supporting that, I suppose, because that will alleviate the challenges. And I think for those of people who get an EV eventually, what you'll find is it's, there's, a, there's an affordability element once the cost of EVs comes down. Once that upfront cost starts to come down, which is starting to, all of a sudden you have this, uh, these savings on gas and there's potential for even more savings on electricity because uh, when we think about our electricity system here, the price varies dramatically. And if we can pass that through to the customer somehow where you can take advantage of the low price periods, there's opportunities to get really cheap fuel for your vehicle. And I think that's something from an affordability lens. And we don't tend to think about EVs from an affordability lens because of that upfront cost, which is real. But down the road, I think once we deal with the upfront cost, there's potential for uh, 
really saving on budgets in terms of fueling your vehicle. Blake Schaefer, thanks for coming in. Thanks for inviting me. That is Blake Schaefer, an associate professor at the UFC and an all-around energy expert. I'm Anise Hedari, and this is Calgary, where the two employees on this podcast still drive 20-year-old gasoline beaters. Love you, Deanna. Excel. <laughs> Good looks. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.